Welcome to episode 473 of the Professional Book Nerds podcast presented by Overdrive. Uh, this is Adam just by myself today. Uh, and today's episode is an interview I did with Margaret Owen, who is the author of The Merciful Crow and the new book in the, the series, The Faithless Hawk, which just came out uh, last week, I believe. Um, I've, I read The Merciful Crow and it came out in 2019 and it is a really, really fun unique, interesting fantasy novel um, that's, there's all of these casts of people who are based on different birds. And um, there's a really unique magical system that has to do with um, it's bone magic, basically. But we get all into it uh, in the conversation, so I won't spend time on in the intro telling you that. But we also talk about her relationship with um, Dungeon and Dra- Dungeons and Dragons and doing kind of like role-playing games with, with her friends online and how creating those types of stories helps her as uh, a writer and also the um, interesting connections between the caste system that she built and some things that are going on in our society right now. And then at the end of our conversation, we had some fun. We did this over Zoom. So I was able to share my screen and show her some things. Um, And because the books are based on these different casts of people that have names of specific birds, um, and each of them has like a, a magic. I basically showed her a bunch of very crazy looking birds and asked her what their magics would be. So um, I listened back to it and it's still enjoyable without even being able to see everything. Um, but I think I mentioned the names of most of the birds so you can look them up if you're interested. Uh, but there, it was just really fun and it was just a, a random thing that we wanted to do. So um, that's at the very end. So if you uh, enjoy that, you know, let me know. It was like a, just something we had some fun with. Um, if you want to get a hold of us, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. You can uh, go to Twitter and Instagram, ProBookNerds, um, and you can email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com. Uh, if you haven't done it yet, if you wouldn't mind giving us a quick five-star review uh, wherever you listen to podcasts, it helps people find us a little bit more easily, so we very much appreciate that. Um, and then just one more plug for shop.overdrive.com. There's some really cool Libby and Sora and Professional Book Nerds swag. Some really cool stuff there, um, as well as a really, really fancy, cool Libby shirt that has all the different uh, Libby skin tone pictures, and it's just, it's really, I, I really like the shirt, and um, it's doing a quick two-week sale, so I'm not going to have it up for too much longer. Okay, I think that's just about everything. Won't keep you any any longer here. I'm going to let you get to the conversation I had with Margaret Owen on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. My name's Adam Sokol, and I'm the host of the Passions and Prologues podcast. Every week, best-selling authors like Jenny Jackson, Rebecca Mackay, Lisa Scottolini, or Brad Meltzer come on to my show to talk about, yes, their new books, but more importantly, the things that they're crazy passionate about. We've talked about the Muppets, powerlifting, traveling, gardening, home improvement, and so much more. We dig into why these things are their passions, how they inspire their writing, and where they came to fall in love with these random assorted things. Be sure to subscribe to the Passions and Prologues podcast wherever you get your podcasts, and check out evergreenpodcast.com to learn more.
Hey everybody, it's Adam and I can't tell you how excited I am to be joined today by Margaret Owen, who also goes by Molly. So if I'm talking, I recently learned that she has multiple <laughs> names. So Margaret is the author of The Merciful Crow and the new book in the duology, The Faithless Hawk, which I actually, no one can see this but you, but I'm holding them both as we speak right next to me. Um, <laughs> This, so these books are so much fun. I'm going to let her explain all about them. But I will say when I got the publisher pitch to interview you, it was the fastest I've ever responded to a publicist because I love (laughs) Merciful Crow so, so much. I'm so excited to talk about it. And uh, she's also the dungeon master of a (laughs) Dungeons and Dragons podcast, which we're going to get into as well and just a whole bunch of other stuff. So first off, Margaret slash Molly, thank you for (laughs) joining me today. Thank you. I am shrouded in mystery as always. <laughs> uh, so we always start all of our author interviews by having you, the author, kind of introduce your book series to our listeners. So um, if you want to start with Merciful Crow, you can just say that it sort of extends the story. I'll let you decide how you want to kind of decipher between the two, but take it away. The digital floor is yours. <laughs> Why, thank you. Yeah, I think probably just best for everybody's sanity for me to start with Merciful Crow. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> So uh, for those of you who haven't picked it up yet, uh, it is a young adult fantasy about a girl named Phi who is from the lowest caste in a kingdom where everybody is born into one of 12 different bird-themed castes. And uh, her caste is the lowest. Uh, They are the eponymous crows. And they are basically nomadic undertakers and plague doctors, which is a little too timely right now. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And uh, she and her family, like the the story starts with she and her family basically getting um, tricked into helping the crown prince fake his own death and flee the palace. And it turns out it's because his evil stepmother is attempting to basically weaponize the plague again, or weaponize the plague and turn the rest of the country on the crows and use that to basically help her seize power. Again, a little too tightly. (laughs) (laughs) But um, the the crown prince, Jasimer, and his bodyguard, Tavin, um, basically make this pitch to the crows of, hey, if you help us flee to our allies, we will then... uh, keep my stepmother from not murdering you all mm-hmm. and Phi's answer is that's cute we a we deal with attempted murder all the time and b <laughs> we don't work for free and so they wrestle the crown prince into a holy oath that once he is on to or when he, once he's taken the throne he has to actually address the persecution that or and violence that the crows face every day and which is something that none of his ancestors have done and the rest of the story is basically this road trip from hell as um not only does that oath suddenly become very hard to keep in many different ways but uh the prince has to kind of face the reality that this kingdom that he's trying to take over is not the not as perfect from it's been it looks a lot better from the palace than it does from the actual ground and the Faithless Hawk picks up where the Merciful Crow leaves off uh, about a month after, actually, in fact. And without spoiling too much on that front, um, it's basically a continuation of, wow, it's really hard <laughs> to, to, to foment social change. Uh, and it basically finds um, the, the evil stepmother queen, uh, Rusana, makes a move for the throne following the king's death. And that... Um, that sort of kicks off a lot of uh, 
a lot of dominoes start following yeah. falling in. It's very fun, but also involves a lot of things like skin monsters and magic and well, listen, the skin monsters part may sound shocking to people, except for the fact that <laughs> there's teeth magic that you get introduced to in the first one. So like, mm-hmm. yeah, I mean, there's a lot we'll get into, but we can, we can get into that. <laughs> so there is, much like in many, many fantasy and young adult fantasy type novels, there mm-hmm. is a magic system, but mm-hmm. yours is definitely <laughs> one of the more unique ones I've ever mm-hmm. come across. So do you want to... <laughs> You want to talk about your magic system? It's so it's so fun and so super interesting. <laughs> I so I love coming up with magic systems, and if anything, the hardest thing for me is trying to simplify them and be like, I'm not. You, know, you shouldn't have to consult a dictionary, consult like a a a, a subway chart of of the magic system. <laughs> Unfortunately, you do have to do that a little bit for Marshall Crow, but you know, uh, it is what it is. Uh, basically, every part of the reason that the caste system exists in the merciful crow is this idea that i've had or i had kicking around at the time that people who are born in a or people in a in in a world where anyone can have access to magic are going to inherently instill some kind of hierarchy into that and especially if it's magic that you are born with and so i wanted to build a society that takes a look at what a kind of a ranked system of magic would look like and how that society would kind of ingrain that into itself. So that's why it's not called magic or magic types. It's called birthrights. Mm-hmm. And that, that is a very loaded term and it's there for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> and um, the, the way that the magic system works is that everybody within the cast is born with a unique uh, or a property, uh, an, a kind of meta ability that is unique to them. And then, um, there are people within each caste who are believed to be the reincarnations of the dead gods that founded these castes, and they are referred to as witches. They have kind of an augmented version, a souped-up version of that that ability. So for um, for phoenixes, the the ruling caste, they are just sort of ambiently immune to fire, but the witches of the caste can control fire, which is the only truly destructive property or truly destructive power in the in the hierarchy of magic Mm -hmm. which is also kind of why they're at the top (laughs) this is that is the most dungeons and dragons answer like possible Um, right let me just adjust my glasses yes yeah as as we both like smarmily like clean up our glasses um we grab the the dungeon master manual (laughs) so a part of this is um does the teeth thing does that doesn't do much way i mean that that doesn't really you learn about that pretty early on in the Mm -hmm. first book um So there, our our main character, he is a witch and has this very unique ability to take um, the powers from other casts. You can correct me anytime if I don't say this exactly right, but take the powers from the other casts uh, and use them when she is in contact with the a bone of theirs. But teeth mm-hmm. is kind of more convenient to carry around than. Correct. I, th- I think I actually saw you say at some point more convenient than carrying around like a like a bag of femurs or something. Exactly. Um, exactly. <laughs> so, wh- what made you? It, is teeth? Was that just? Was that literally just because it was convenient, or like what? I just am like I imagine like you have some recurring nightmare about dentists, and like this is how you take the power back or something. I I am actually very lucky to not have uh, a fear of dentists too much. Um, all things considered that's very good because my mouth is just not in a great shape right now but uh the um 
the so the reality is that I think a lot of uh, writers actually encounter this. You tend to get a lot of ideas when you're in the shower. And I think it's because you are undisturbed. You are, for me, I'm always listening to music and I'm just like thinking through stuff. And I remember standing in the shower of my crummy apartment at the time and uh, just thinking, you know, I want this magic system that the crows, or I want the magic of the crows to be kind of viscerally unpleasant. Like I mm-hmm. wanted to have something that makes people kind of go oh a little bit and I was thinking you know well okay so if they could it'd be cool if they could like tap into the magic that sort of lingering still in bones that would be kind of unsettling and that would be um just inherently challenging for other people to see that done like you know oh you're cool you're calling the magic out of my dead mom's bones thanks <laughs> great and then I was like yeah but, but then it ran into the the, the femur problem of portability right mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um i was like well what's a what's a very you know what what could they just take like finger bones or something but that just seems like so much work and then i was like well we have bones that we just naturally shed and it's our teeth mm-hmm. and they're not technically bones but they're close cut like chemically they're and functionally they're close, close yeah exactly so i was like well why not just roll with teeth then uh, and of course you know then you have the moment of self-reflection of I'm standing in a shower thinking about how I'm going to do teeth magic and how I'm going to make that work because that's where my life is at right now. (laughs) You saying that teeth are bones that we shed is something I'm going to think about for the rest of my (laughs) life. That's so viscerally like intense but also accurate and I love and hate it at the same time. The brand. (laughs) Oof, magoof. That is amazing. Um, so we talked about, you know, there's the plague, the plague is a huge aspect mm-hmm. of this and we can get to like the connections of our terrible situation in real life right now. <laughs> like, was there, or did you do a lot of research for like what made you want to choose the plague and then like what was your research process when you wanted to make sure you were getting it as accurate as possible, I guess? Well, thankfully, uh, at some point in the, I think there was, okay, so I always knew that there was going to be some kind of plague element because they had to be plague doctors. And um, there was, well, even winding it back a little bit further, uh, part of what inspired the, not just the story, but the role that Phi plays in it was an article that I found on the, I I promise, this is going to sound absolutely wild. I promise I'm going to come back to the plague. Sure. (laughs) Um, An article I found on the lives of the medieval executioners. And there were all these interesting sort of facets to their lives in that the act of killing someone was inherently seen as unclean and sinful. But in order to uphold a justice system, they needed to have some kind of punishment, including, like, including, you know, the the death penalty. Mm -hmm. And uh, as such, they basically needed to appoint someone to be in charge of doing the unclean duty of, um, of killing someone mm-hmm. and, or of, of, of execution. And that, because nobody wanted to be like, well, gee, you know, I guess I'll, I'll train, <laughs> I'll train for five years as an injured executioner. No one's <laughs> going to be thinking of putting in for that. Uh, it became kind of a hereditary position, mm-hmm. which is where you see that sort of echoed throughout the crows where the chief trains the next one and they travel with their family. And that's kind of a family business. Mm-hmm. Um, and so when I was thinking about the, the logistics of that, I was like, well, there just isn't that much crime that's going to rec- like be a full-time gig for them to be traveling executioners. Mm-hmm. 
So what would require people to be traveling around basically executing people and the, the idea of this plague that people are kind of, they think it's a divine punishment, but they're not really sure. That was like, okay, so I could, you know, it, I, I can just make up a disease <laughs> and, uh, and roll with that. And so to some degree, I did look at, you know, things, or I did look at, at major plagues of the past, major diseases to see how they spread and why, and, um, and to try to inform some stuff based on that, like the idea that the crows might be carrying out the plague because they're immune to it, which is, again, just horrifying right now. Um, but the, you know, I, I looked at some of that, but there were plenty of times where I was just like, you know what, it is a magic disease. It is a magic plague, so I can kind of fudge that one. <laughs> yeah, take some, take a few liberties here and there. Uh-huh. So the the bird casts, the mm-hmm. the casts of people who are represented with kind of names of birds. Did that come mm-hmm. out of this? Might be a leap. I mean, tell me I'm completely wrong. <laughs> um, so for people who might not be familiar, there's those famous images of plague doctors, and they very much look like they're wearing giant bird masks. Like, was that sort of the <laughs> impetus to make the the casts because th- i'm trying to think like yeah. okay no, you're right so uh the, it's i mean the story started with Fi and the crows mm-hmm. and i when i was coming up with the cast system i knew that they you know they would be called the crows mm-hmm. and i was thinking of okay so what's the other end of the spectrum if they're on the bottom what's the other end and i was like what phoenixes because mm-hmm. there are these fabulous immortal birds that are you know they, they, fire can't destroy them it can literally just remake them you know they're mm-hmm. reborn through it uh you know they, they are holy they're seen as pure you know they have all this cool mythological stuff attached to them and they are as they are you know ethereal and mystical and stuff in a way that crows are the polar opposite of they're seen as mundane they're seen as scavengers even though you know it's more like surviving mm-hmm. um, but uh once I had those two ends of the spectrum, I was like, it would be kind of weird to have a bird on each end and nothing but like, you know, uh, the beaver cast, <laughs> the, the, the gazelle cast, mm-hmm. you know, in the middle. So I was like, all right, well, it's just going to be birds all the way down, I guess. Um, that makes a lot of sense. Because I was trying <laughs> to think of like, other than your books, and mm-hmm. then obviously like Six of Crows, which people say like, oh, Merciful Crows, Six of Crows, I'm sure you're tired of saying that. <laughs> And then like Alex London's books, like I can't think mm-hmm. of too many other bird related <laughs> YA books. I was just curious. Mm-hmm. I want to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor, which is GiveWell. Every year, millions across the globe suffer from easily preventable diseases. This year, because of coronavirus, more people are currently in need. If you're in a position to give and you want to help out, uh, try and support charities where your next donation can save and improve lives the most. And that's the mission of GiveWell.org. Uh, for over 10 years, GiveWell.org has helped donors find the charities and projects that save and improve lives the most per dollar. Uh, and here's how they do it. So GiveWell dedicates over 20,000 hours a year researching charitable organizations and handpicks a small set of them that have the highest impact with evidence-backed charities. Uh, it's just this really, really amazing thing where what they do is um, they don't ask for your donations for themselves. They ask that you give to these amazing charities that they recommend, like the Helen Keller International and Against Malaria Foundations. 
Um, they take no fees whatsoever. So all of your tax deductible donations will be used to help others. I don't know about everyone else, but uh, you know, lately, over the last few months especially, I've been really down and stressed out and just a little bit depressed with everything going on in the world. And one of the things that has given me a lot of joy is being able to donate to charities that I know are going to help uh, my community and the global community beyond. And so just knowing that GiveWell is out there to make sure that when you do donate money, you can have the peace of mind to know that not only are you giving money to people who need it, but it's the people who need it most and the people who are going to use it in the best way. It's just fantastic. Uh, since 2010, GiveWell has helped over 50,000 donors do, uh, direct over $500 million to the most effective charities. And most importantly, these donations will lead to over 75,000 lives saved and improved the lives of millions more. Uh, if you want to have even more of an impact, donate soon uh, because any of our listeners who become new GiveWell donors will have their first donation matched up to $100 when you go to givewell.org slash probooknerds and select podcast and probooknerds at checkout. This matching offer is only good for as long as funds last. Get your first donation matched up to $100 when you go to givewell.org slash probooknerds and select podcast and pro book nerds at checkout. Do you think, or have you seen anybody say that our current like social climate and what we're all experiencing right now is affecting the reading experience of these books? Or like, because I'm, I'm assuming Faithless Crow or Faithless Hawk was definitely written before all of this happened, but you mm-hmm. might have been going through like, edits and stuff but have you seen people say like it's affecting their I I've seen like a couple people be like you know I can't really pick this one up right now which I totally understand Uh, I mean it's it's, I will say as an author that's a little bit terrifying uh, especially (laughs) because you know it's my Merciful Crow is my first book Faithless Hawk is my second book and you do want to I mean uh, I would be 100% lying if I said that sales didn't matter uh, mm-hmm. especially when you were starting out. Um, yeah. And I mean, I'm, there's plenty of folks who get lots of chances with publishing. Mm-hmm. And so I'm not too, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to say it's a kiss of death for sales to be low or for people yeah. to be like going, oh, I can't handle it right now. But it is, you know, it's nerve wracking. It is, it is a business. Um, and so, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's just one of the many businesses that has been affected by COVID. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, no, I definitely have had people uh, being like, you know, looking at or picking up Faithless Hawk and being like, when, when did you, when did you write this? When did this happen? Uh-huh. And uh, I was like, yeah, August, 2019. I don't know what to tell you. Like <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I struggle bust my way through um, the first act of Faithless Hawk from January to July of 2019. And then I just kind of yarfed out the re- the other two thirds <laughs> <laughs> in, in the space of like August 15th to September 15th. It was just seventy thousand words of ah yeah, <laughs> and um, <laughs> it was um it was quite an, an experience uh, that I don't want to repeat again. But then it turns out that um you know the book was a little more prophetic than I thought it mm-hmm. would be. Uh, so yeah, it was uh it's it's definitely been um interesting fielding that because the other thing is you don't want to be like yeah, buy my book because it, it's exactly like the horrible reality that we're yeah. in. 
No, I, I know what you mean though, because like I, listeners know that, you know, Jill and I work for Overdrive and mm-hmm. like we're a digital library company and mm-hmm. throughout COVID and throughout, you know, everyone being at home, like it wasn't a secret that our company was doing well in the sense that mm-hmm. we are able to provide a service that gives people access right. to the books <laughs> without leaving their home. So yeah. exactly what you mean, like it's one of those situations <laughs> where for us, we were like, as a, as a company, we're like, okay, right we need to be doing all we can to support libraries and their communities. And mm-hmm. yes, this is very good for us in a sense of like, <laughs> we are doubling our users and people mm-hmm. are using the library more. And like, that's a great thing for us to focus on. But at the same time, like you don't wanna, like you said, you don't wanna like <laughs> right. shout from the rooftops, like, you know what's great for our business? Everyone's <laughs> right. gonna leave their home. Like, you don't, it's a right. like line to walk for it's like, I've talked to authors all the time where they're just like, I'll be like, well, how is everything going with you in quarantine? And they're like, well, I don't really want to tell everyone that this is how my life always is. I don't really leave my house ever. Right. Right. <laughs> I, I have gotten so many of my friends and family who like, they didn't, I don't think they really kind of clocked what it was like for me to start writing full time, mm-hmm. uh, you know, a couple of years ago. And they've been, you know, doing the, the, the follow-up texts of how are you doing? Are you okay? Are you hanging in there? And I'm like, Listen, the only bad thing is that I was already in self-imposed quarantine from January to March. Mm-hmm. I was supposed to go to Europe in the <laughs> middle of March. Yeah. And, you know, th- this is just the same. I was ready to explode out of my apartment like the great scattering in Dune. And yet. <laughs> <laughs> then the world had other plans. Yeah. Yeah. I know what you mean. I feel like I live in this room where I'm doing this recording right now. Now it's like mm-hmm. just me and the dog who's not sleeping again. And uh, hopefully we'll stay that way. Um, <laughs> so you also, like I said, you, you have a Dungeons and Dragons podcast. Mm-hmm. I'll spell check. Yeah. Um, but it's not just doing Dungeons and Dragons. It's you and other young adult authors, right? Mm-hmm. Okay. How did that get started? <laughs> okay. So, um, so I, I'm going to guess that not all your listeners follow me on Twitter. That's probably for the best. How dare um, they? <laughs> but if you do, you you probably know I am a big fan of the Adventure Zone, and I was doing yet another reread of it, a re-listen of it, and um, I was just internally like one of the things that I do when I listen to or when I experience a media property that I really enjoy is be like, how do I do something like this because this is so cool and I want to make it myself. And then, of course, the, the next step is, how do I do this in a way that doesn't completely reinvent the wheel and suck oxygen from a project that is also really, really cool? Mm-hmm. Um, and so uh, I was like, I really, or I remember just tweeting out, I really wish there was like a version of The Adventure Zone or something like, you know, a project like The Adventure Zone, where it's a narrative D&D podcast, but with young adult authors. And it was like a primal scream on the on Twitter just sort of came back to me. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was just like a tidal wave of a bunch of authors being like, I would be so into this. <laughs> and um, so I was like, okay, I'm just, I'm going to pick the first five. I have to cap the party at five. I don't yeah. know. Or, and I also was like, I cannot run this game. I yeah. have no idea what I'm doing. Zero whatsoever. I played like two sessions myself. And then I wound up being the DM anyway. <laughs> But uh, yeah, so that, you know, the, the first five folks who answered were L.L. McKinney, Adib Karam, Emily Miller, Lindsay Miller, or sorry, not Emily Miller, uh, <laughs> Emily Duncan, Lindsay Miller, and Laura Pohl. And uh, they all picked their, their uh, characters. I gave them a kind of this rough pitch of basically your characters are all going to meet 
in jail. So you have to tell me what they're in jail for. And um, uh, I think that, or, and some, just some, back, some background stuff. Uh-huh. And then I built the campaign from there. That's, um, first off, Emily and uh, Lindsay have both been on the podcast. They're wonderful. And <laughs> it's so funny that, that this is happening because um, Marika Niekamp, who yeah. so just a giant, fantastic, wonderful human being. She's, I think she's been on our podcast more than like anyone else. She was the first mm-hmm. person, like the first author we ever had on like four years ago. Oh. And we've just like stayed buddies. Yeah. And uh, she comes to Cleveland, like when she does travel, which mm-hmm. no one is right now, like we see her all the time <laughs> and host mm-hmm. her events and stuff. She was, she also has a D&D group and they oh, yeah. tweet <laughs> each other all the time. And mm-hmm. I literally, I actually said to her one time, like I sent her a text. I was like, you guys should do this as a podcast and she actively said she's like uh margaret uh, margaret owen already is doing that so like oh. she like, <laughs> like i mean yeah there's a lot of them but right. she's like my other wild friends yeah oh yeah but yeah <laughs> well and like you said the adventures don't like the for people mm-hmm. who might not be familiar that is the mcelroy brothers who mm-hmm. i mean i don't know how you can't be familiar. like they're i think they're my favorite right. people and that right. family. <laughs> I'm a big Mackle fan. <laughs> yeah, I'm a huge Mackle fan. Um, my brother, like every Monday when my brother, my brother and me comes out, it's like my favorite right. day of the week. And um, exactly. But yeah, so <laughs> people are, now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh my God, that's such a random reference. I want to talk. Oh, I just want to only do and Bam references now. Right. Um, <laughs> I actually will find myself. I'm like totally giving this away for people who might not. Listen. <laughs> I will find myself on our podcast saying things like ooh hachi machi like i'll like say things <laughs> that they say right and i'll be like oh no that's a that was a or like i'll talk about goof em ups and i'm just like <laughs> I, I don't realize how much i talk like all three of right them. yeah i i realized a little while ago that the, the voice i used to talk to my cats which i will not replicate here is definitely like heavily final pam influenced <laughs> Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Oh, that's so, so it's, funny. It is definitely, it's, it's an experience, yeah. but that um, one lives in the vault. Oh, that's fantastic. To <laughs> tie this to writing, do you think being the dungeon master for this group has affected how you write your stories? Um, It's definitely affected how, so writing, well, Hmm. <laughs> I, it's comp- it's it's Facebook complicated. Uh, sure, sure, sure. The short answer is yes, not too much, but yes. The mm-hmm. longer answer is that um, I am a consummate outliner. I plot, I plan, I I I love my spreadsheets so much. <laughs> Like if I can't solve world hunger with a with a Facebook or with a with a an Excel formula, then I don't know what I, what we're even doing here. And uh, I I I love organizing my stuff, you know, meticulously. But when you are running a campaign and when you are running a and D session, you literally cannot plan for everything. You have to you have to say just let them mess around for a bit. Mm-hmm. Like you or just see where they go with it, and you have to be okay with thinking on your feet. And with the third book uh, that I am working on right now, um, I definitely planned. Like I had a, a whole bunch of big targets to hit, but I did less meticulous organizing, and and I left a lot more open for development as I wrote it, and for me to come up with solutions in the moment. And that has that was really it was really refreshing, and I think the the story definitely benefited from it because it felt a little less rigid and structured and, and on rails 
I was just going to say you saying that you are a like very much a planner like that is so counter to being a dungeon master and having to come up with stuff mm-hmm. as you go. Um, my, uh, my co-host Jill, she also is a planner and uh, mm-hmm. we even to the point where like when she, she has a spreadsheet for her, she doesn't just use like good reads <laughs> for her reading. She has mm-hmm. a spreadsheet for her yearly reading where she has like pages and hours and genres <laughs> yep. and backgrounds of each author and it's Mm -hmm. just so much yeah it's the exact same but it is (laughs) like the dichotomy of the two where it's like okay when I'm writing I love to plan these things out but like you said letting yourself feel a little bit in the moment and seeing where it takes you Mm -hmm. I definitely see how that would help out a lot yeah (laughs) um okay so I told you we were gonna do this beforehand (laughs) I'm so excited for listeners I will tell you what the name of the thing is and you can just google it and because I know we're on a podcast and no, no one else can see this, but I had this conversation with a friend of mine about birds and animals on Twitter because she was freaked out about something. And I was just, I love the idea that you have all these different bird casts and each of them have a different magic. So I have mm-hmm. several different hilarious, well not hilarious, yeah, they're hilarious <laughs> birds. And I want you to look at them. I'm going to share my screen for the two of us. Okay. I'm show it to you, tell you what the name of it is. And then you are going to tell me what you think the magic is going to be for this one. Okay. Okay. All right, so I'm going to share my screen, and this first one here is a shoe bill. A what? I believe they're called Oh, shoe. God. Yeah. So, <laughs> you know what that is? That one has the power of instilling fear in others, is what that has. <laughs> Just a primal fear. That one has the power of making you pee your pants, is what that has. Yeah. Um, for people who aren't aware, if you look up a shoe bill and, like, you find GIFs or videos of them, they look like... A rejected Muppet like they look like <laughs> something Jim Henson was like no this can't even be in the dark crystal like they are yeah. so creepy looking they're so they're they're in the uncanny valley because they don't look like birds even they look like someone that they, they look like Jim Henson's Jim Henson typed in scary monster bird and then messed it up even more yeah like look at this again I'm, i don't like that oh God. i know again i'm just yeah. showing margaret here but like, <laughs> if you look up shoebill they are and they're comically big like they right. are huge huge animals they're so big um <laughs> they have the word rex in their like latin name which this yeah. tells you they're huge okay so next <laughs> this next okay. one is a harpy eagle also, i love harpy you- eagles um they would have the power to make you uh, think non-human things were human. I would say to anthropomorphize things because look at that face. Look at that face. It's looking right at you in disapproval and it's saying, you have disappointed me. Like, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Is what that bird is saying to me right now. Not to keep up the Muppet theme, but these always yeah. remind me of Sam the Eagle because they do. They have that like <laughs> judgmental, like, hmm, yes. Well, yeah. if that's how you want to do things, then I suppose we'll uh well, we'll about it. If that's what you think is the best course, then I suppose. <laughs> exactly. Oh man. Okay, so again, people looking up, that's a harpy <laughs> eagle. They're also gigantic as well. Like right? comically large birds. Uh, next <laughs> one is a small one, a little bit more well known. We've got a puffin. Oh um, so the first thing that pops to mind is, of course, the Star Wars porgs. And so my first thought oh. was, oh, their power is being delicious. But that would be oh. me. <laughs> um, I would say their power... Hmm. Oh. <laughs> their power...
power's just being chill as heck. <laughs> that's, that's what it is. Their power is just mellowing the heck out. Oh, yeah. So they could be, um, like, they could have the ability to, like, calm other people down in stressful yeah. situations. They're the opposite of the shoe bill in that yeah. the shoe bill will make you just instinctively fear for everything that you love. Mm-hmm. And the puffin will be like, no, no, chill, bro. It's okay. Is Wasn't it, you mentioned the porgs. Isn't that, like, what, aren't puffins the reason that porgs exist because they were just everywhere on that island yeah and they had to like photoshop they had to come up with some kind of explanation for them that's incredible that's my favorite also speaking of porgs um i don't know i'm assuming i uh, forgive me if if you don't i assume every ya author knows each other from my experience like it's more or less yeah so zoraida cordova (laughs) i was about to say zoraida (laughs) yeah so also she ironically she was the second author that was ever on this podcast like four years ago so Z carries it. She has a porg that she carries yeah. around. Um, what is it? Oh. It does it, have a name. Yeah. Leia Porgana. Yep. Nailed it. Nice job. <laughs> Thank you. Crushed it. <laughs> okay. So this. What is that? Is a rhino. Oh, it's like a rhino. Oh, shoot. What was it actually called? I, it's a rhinoceros. Pel- it's a rhinoceros something. Oh, man. I will oh look up the, think of the name while, while you think of what. For people who are waiting for me to tell them what it is it's like a pelican has like a literal rhinoceros horn it's um, like it's wearing the top part of a toucan like it's, yes it's yeah it's like toucan sam is upside down yeah exactly right. what it is well, i mean it looks like it's wearing toucan sam as a hat not in a good way <laughs> um this would definitely like initially fall into the primal fear birds but i okay i have to think about this one um, ooh, okay. This one would have uh, the ability to bounce any object on its head. <laughs> what it's doing? Oh, I literally <laughs> think they're called rhino birds. Rhinoceros hornbill. Okay. Yeah, no, I would say like, it, it has the ability to carry anything on its head. Uh, and if it's not, if, or I would say a witch can carry anything on its head a regular member of the cast would be able to um, just balance things on their head. Oh, that is incredible. I, I, think <laughs> I, I think I have one more. Okay. Yeah. So this is, if I remember correctly, it is a Malaysian hawk. It actually kind of looked like, I mean, it's not, it's still a hawk, but it has, <laughs> I, I basically looked for large birds mm-hmm. and this, this gentleman <laughs> came up. He's I mean, he's got a uh, great great plumage he's got a huge <laughs> dome i would say this one would be uh <laughs> this one's superpower would be having a string of husbands who have all died mysteriously <laughs> 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 that is the face that says why no officer i have no idea what happened to my darling hair oh my gosh he it does it's <laughs> one of those, it looks like it has um like it has a scarf on that and like a hat. Yeah. Right. It's got like the you know the 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 the, the giant moth fold of thing and yeah. like it's not as bad as the as the other like I've seen a couple birds that definitely look like the 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 wealthy widows. Yeah. They're just oh they kill me every time I see them because they've got like the fun little hair plumage mm-hmm. things going too. But this one definitely looks like it's in that category of yeah. just a string of mysterious mysteriously uh, wealthy husbands all uh, all six feet under now that's so funny for our listeners i will follow us go on twitter and i will when when this comes out i will tweet Please do. i'm just for people who don't listen to the podcast the day that they see the tweets they're gonna have no frame of reference i'm like margaret <laughs> owen was on and here are all the birds we discussed <laughs> i uh, mean 
the way to solve that is just to listen to the podcast. That's exactly right. <laughs> so, okay, so um, at the end of our podcast, we don't usually have bird-related questions for everyone. That was a special, that was a special. Why, thank you. you. Um, so we do what we call the Nerd Nine. We have nine lighthearted questions that Ooh. help people get to know you a little bit better, I suppose. <laughs> um, so the first one is, "What is the last book you finished reading?" Uh, or are currently reading i will also accept uh, i go into like a reading fugue um or i go into like a like a, a i wouldn't say like a reading uh embargo because i i do like to read while i write but mm-hmm. i don't like go through a whole book so i genuinely don't remember which one i read last like cover to cover how about what's a book you like <laughs> then we'll, we'll alter the question like a, a book you really enjoyed in 2020 you're right <laughs> i i mean one so the book that i always go back to as kind of like a comfort read because i just love everything about it so much is spinning silver mm. um it's just it's it's such a good like deconstruction of a fairy tale while also weaving in elements of like the things that really make fairy tales magical like to yeah. me. that that one just oh every time i read that it is you just start sobbing <laughs> um, Naomi Nova has it. She has a new book coming out later this year. I, I saw. saw. I like squealed. I actually, it looks um, so good. <laughs> uh, a couple years ago at BookCon, I said I got to do like a panel interview with her, mm-hmm. uh, Lainey Taylor, and Rena Rosner about dark fairy tales. <laughs> and like, I've never mm. said less words because I was so afraid. I was like, boy, am I not? I should not be in this little table here. It's so much fun. <laughs> uh, do you have a favorite place to read? Um, usually just on my bed or on my couch or like anywhere I can just like lie down and hold a book in a really bad way for my wrists. Uh, that's, that's about how I do it. Oh, that's amazing. Do you have a favorite or do you remember what book made you fall in love with reading? Um, oh boy. Okay. So I, um, I would say like honestly the first chapter so i just talked about this uh in a blog post uh on pop goes the reader the first chapter book that i was ever given i think i was like six or seven ish was mm-hmm. from my grandmother it was nancy drew and the whispering statue and it was you know, when you have kids books they're you know all very fun but i think at that age they're just kind of shoving these books at you that are like oh, you know, this kid went down to the creek and poked around and met a frog. And, you know, then, wow, what a good day that was. And then I get handed this book that's like, Nancy gets in her car and drives to investigate a mystery. She's going to go in the beauty pageant. She's going to do her, and she's also going to investigate a mystery and catch criminals. (laughs) And uh, for a seven-year-old, that was quite a step up. (laughs) But uh, it was also really, like, it, it was a challenge and I think that kind of set my lifelong love of challenging things um, mm-hmm. and so that you know the, the first one that I ever read was really the first one where I was like <gasps> this is cool and we can do so much more that's amazing um <laughs> when we're allowed to travel again what oh. is one place you'd like to go that you have not yet been to oh my god um, I would like to go to New York for like, uh, I have so many places I want to go. Um, <laughs> I have never been to Europe, so I definitely want to do a Europe trip. Um, I was planning on going to Munich for a research trip in March and then that just sort of, mm-hmm. uh, not <laughs> but, so much. You're right. Um, although my friend who was going to be my travel like companion for that, uh, 
was the one to be like, uh, well, my parents are kind of worried that, uh, you know, Angela Merkel saying they might have 100,000 cases and, uh, you know, they're worried that I might be, you know, get it while I'm over there. And then two weeks later, he was like, I'm sorry. And I was like, you understand that we could have had Angela Merkel herself gently tucking us into quarantine huts with uh, a lifetime supply of food and entertainment and Wi-Fi. Or at least, like, at least you know, two weeks supply. And then we would be done. We would be done with all of this. But, uh, oh, man. That's so funny. Oh, I'm so sorry <laughs> you weren't able to do that. <laughs> it, I, I will somehow survive, I think. But, uh, um, yeah. <laughs> do you have a favorite holiday? Uh, Halloween. Like, I just, it, it, it has to be Halloween because there's, I mean, I do love Christmas. You know, that's fun. Easter is great. You get to shove your face full of candy and stuff. Mm -hmm. But I feel like Halloween really captures all the fun stuff. And then it puts like skeletons and bones <laughs> and spider webs on it. And it's like, and we can also do spooky. Uh. And it's like, we, we can do, you want goth Christmas? We can do goth Christmas. You want the candy at Easter? Got it. You want people getting you know, together in groups and doing terrible, stupid things like 4th of July? Got that too. Oh, that's so funny. That's perfect. Um, coffee or tea? Um, both, but I do three cups of coffee per day and only one of tea. <laughs> uh, cats or dogs? Cats for sure. I, I mean, dogs are very sweet and I enjoy, I enjoy anytime I'm around a dog, but uh, my cats don't need to go outside to use the litter box. That's totally fair. And for what it's worth, my dog, Remy, who everyone knows pretty well at this point, um, while we were talking, he just went into, he got very annoyed with me. And uh, I woke him up because <laughs> he was dreaming. And I didn't feel like having him make noise. And uh, he went into my closet, which I had, I had, past tense, a bunch of folded clothes. I now have a pile of because he just like used his paws and was like, uh, F that. And, <laughs> right. and those are moving now. <laughs> right. now. Now he's sitting on the ground staring at me like, hello. What are, you woke me up. This is what you get. Uh, <laughs> My closet now. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, do you have a favorite food? Oh gosh. Um, I love making chocolate chip cookies. Like mm -hmm. that is just that is. Like, I think chocolate chip cookies are just gonna. Well, actually, no. I okay. I retract everything. Girl Scout cookies, Samoas, those are the ones. That that is my favorite food, hands down. If they ever change that recipe, I am going to probably just go wander the moors for the rest of my life. <laughs> Amazing. Uh, and then last one of these, if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead, who would you pick? <laughs> I know, I always get that. I always get that like that look. Well, so <laughs> the question is, can I, can I say this without bringing the Secret Service down on me? So I'm going to change my answer. Because um, <laughs> the first thought is, well, am I allowed to poison people at this? <laughs> It's your dinner. Um, right? Exactly. You all don't know how I cook. I don't know. Yeah. Um, okay. Someone I would enjoy. Oh, I would love to have dinner with Eartha Kitt. I would oh, love to have dinner with Eartha Kitt. I mean, I don't even care if she poisons me at that point. Yeah. That would be incredible. That would just be, I mean, the, the, the stuff that she knows and the, the absolute dragging that would proceed of so many people would just be worth its weight in gold 
and you know it would be worth my life if he does in fact poison me or turns oh, me into a llama but... that's so funny that's perfect um okay <laughs> last question for you is my dog has now joined the podcast hello remy, oh, remy has entered the chat hello, yeah remy. exactly <laughs> uh, what do you hope readers take away from reading these two fabulous books <laughs> well thank you um i think the big thing with The Faceless Hoth uh, was that I always knew how the story was going to end. There was always a question of just how many books it would take to get there. And um, there's a reason for that. Uh, I wanted to end it in a way that didn't feel, like didn't present the, the problems that they're facing as completely hopeless and completely just inevitable. And I think for folks who are picking this up, especially at a time like right now, um, what I want them to take away is that, yes, the change that we're pushing for is hard, but it is something that can change. It's not just the way of the world. It's not just the way it is. It's, these are things that can can be pushed, even though it takes a lot of people pushing that boulder up the hill. If, every time it slips down, I know it feels like it takes even more to push back up, but it is getting over the hill. <laughs> So it's not a Sisyphusian situation is what you're saying. Right, exactly. <laughs> oh man, that's so perfect. Margaret, this was so much fun. Thank you Thank for you. joining me today. It was an absolute delight. <laughs> Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. Mad Magazine. Advertising mascots. B-movie posters. And cartoons. Oh yeah, can't forget cartoons. If you get the funky connection that ties these pop culture gems together, you'll dig two designers walk into a bar. See, we're a couple of creatively curious pals living between the bookends of grand museums and dive bars. Hey, you know the place. The sweet spot where highbrow and lowbrow become drinking buddies. So join our barroom chats as we talk influential work and uncover stories of how the familiar became iconic. Think behind the music for the stuff we love. Check out our website at twodesignerswalkintoabar.com. And listen wherever you get your podcasts or visit evergreenpodcasts.com.